This is the Thanks for Sharing podcast, the podcast where we explore all things recovery, healing, and relationship. Remember to subscribe and download episodes in the iTunes store, Google Play, or on the Podbean app. And while you're there, I'd love a review. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Thanks for Sharing. I'm your host, Jackie Pack. Today on the podcast, we're going to start out with a story. We're going to be talking about relationships today. So I wanted to start out with this uh, longtime favorite story of mine. You may have heard it. I was talking with my husband about it before recording this, and he hadn't heard about it. But it's a story in like King Arthur, that series or those stories about King Arthur. It would go by the name of King Arthur and the Riddle or um, the Wedding of Sir Gawain and the Lady Ronell. Anyway, I'm going to just kind of read this story by Stories to Grow By is who they've kind of adapted it, made it a little bit more modern words, modern English storytelling. Okay, here, here we go. One day, King Arthur was hunting in Inglewood Forest with his men. All of a sudden, in the distance, a deer stepped into view. Hold still, everyone, said the king. I'll stalk this deer myself. Holding his bow in one hand and his last arrow over his shoulder, the king crept upon the deer. Then he slayed the deer with one shot. As the animal fell, a tall figure stepped from the shadows. How lucky for me that we meet this way with your arrow released from your hand, boomed the voice of a strong and mighty knight. King Arthur, for many a year you have done me wrong. Now it is time for me to quiet you. Sir Gromer, said King Arthur, and he thought to himself, I meet my old enemy here in the woods with no weapon to defend me. Where are my men? Thinking quickly, the king said, To slay me here, armed as you are, and I clothed in but my greens, would bring you no honor. All the knights will refuse to sit by you, and shame will follow you evermore. I'll grant you anything, name it, land or gold to spare my life. There is no land or gold that I desire, said Sir Gromer. However, I will get what I seek in an honorable way. I'll give you a, a chance to solve a riddle. One year and a day from now, you must appear before me, here in the woods, as you are, without friends, to come with you and with no weapon. If at that time you are unable to solve this riddle, no man will object that I will take your life. But if you answer the riddle correctly, there will be no battle. You must swear on your honor that you will return in one year and a day, as I have said. Lo, I agree, said the king. What is the riddle? You must tell me what it is that women desire most above all else. I assure you, said King Arthur, as I am the true king, that I will come again in one year and a day and bring you the answer that you seek. And so Sir Gromer left. The king blew his bugle and his hunting companions found him with the slain deer at his feet. Yet instead, than finding their ruler in good spirits as they would expect, his companions saw heaviness in their king's face. They realized some trouble must have come about, but when they asked him what could be the matter, he did not say. Only to his nephew, the gentle knight, Sir Gawain, did King Arthur share what had really taken place. Sir, be of good cheer, said the youthful knight, after he heard full through the curious demand of Sir Gromer. Let's ready your horse. Together we will ride through country after country. Wherever we go, we will ask every man and woman for the correct answer. We are bound to find it before long. So the king and his nephew, Sir Gawain, rode away. Everywhere they inquired that it is that women desire above all else. 
All the people who answered were certain their answer was correct, yet each answer was different. Some said women loved best to be well adorned. Others said they wanted a life free of scorn. Some said women want a husband who is handsome and strong. Others that they want a man who will not prove them wrong. And so King Arthur and Sir Gawain collected many an answer, yet none that seemed right. They returned home to sort it all out, since only a month remained. King Arthur decided to return to Ingleswood Forest, and perhaps he could make sense of it there. While riding his royal horse along a forest trail, as foul a lady as King Arthur ever saw rode up to him. She was covered with gold and many a precious stone, but that could not cover her red face, runny nose, mouth that was entirely too wide, teeth that were yellow and hanging, her eyes were blurry, her neck too long, and she was shaped like a barrel. Good day, King Arthur, said she. Think of me what you will, but your life is in my hands. What do you mean, said the king? Of all the answers you have been told, said the loathsome lady, none of them will help you. Only I know the correct answer. Grant me but one thing, Sir King, and I shall tell it to you. But if not, you will face Sir Gromer, and no doubt you shall lose your head. You know Sir Gromer, said King Arthur. He is known, said the vile lady, and he has bragged to many that he has you all but conquered. What Sir Gromer does not know, however, is that I, and only I, have the answer that you seek. Tell me the one thing you seek from me, said the king. If I can grant it, I will. Very well, said she. There is a certain knight I wish to wed. His name is Sir Gawain. Either I marry the knight Sir Gawain, or you must lose your head. Alas, the king thought to himself, woe is me that I should cause Gawain, my own dear nephew, to thus be wed. He said aloud, then we must part, lady. But do tell me before I go, what is your name? Sir King, I am the Lady Ronell. And so they parted. The king returned to his castle where he found his nephew, Sir Gawain. The king told him everything except the demand of the loathsome lady to marry Sir Gawain. King Arthur said instead that the Lady Ronell would share the secret for the promise of a husband. Is that all, said Sir Gawain? Then I will marry her and marry her again, for you are my king and my liege. To save you, my lord, I will do whatever I can, or I would be false and a great coward. With the promise of his nephew, and since the next day was the very day the king was to meet Sir Gromer in the woods, the king rode with haste to Inglewood Forest, to the spot where he had met the Lady Ronell before. But what if she wasn't there, he worried. Then the loathsome lady rode up to him. The king told her that her request would be granted, and she could marry this knight Sir Gawain. Therefore tell me now, quickly, my lady, the answer to the riddle. Sir, said Lady Ronell, now you will know what it is that women desire above all else. Some men say we desire to be beautiful, or that we desire attentions from many men, or that we desire to be married well. Thus, these men do not know the truth. What we desire above all else is to have sovereignty, to rule our lives as we see fit, to not be beholden to another. Go forth, Sir King, for now your life is assured. The king rode as fast as he could to the spot where he had met Sir Gromer, he started by giving one of the answers he had been given earlier, then another, and another, and yet another. To each one, Sir Gromer shook his head with glee. Nay, nay, said Sir Gromer, you are as good as a dead man, prepare to bleed. Abide, Sir Gromer, King Arthur said, I have one answer left. Very well then, said Sir Gromer, or else so help me, your death will be upon you. 
Now here it is, said the king. Above all else, women desire sovereignty, to rule their lives as they see fit. And who was it that told you this, roared Sir Gromare? No doubt it was my sister, the Lady Ronelle. May she burn on a fire, yet now I am compelled to release you, so go. Farewell, said King Arthur, and he quickly turned around his horse. Then he sped to the Lady Ronelle. He must bring her back to his castle for the wedding. Yet so unpleasant was the prospect of holding a public wedding with such a bride that he told her the ceremony would take place in the morning, knowing that meant there would be few guests or even none to attend, and his nephew, Sir Gawain, would not have to suffer the public embarrassment of wedding such a loathsome lady. But this the Lady Ronell would not allow. Nay, Sir King, said she, firmly, openly I must be wed, with a full wedding feast for dinner and guests aplenty in attendance. After the marriage ceremony, when all were gathered for the wedding feast, the Lady Ronell carefully watched her groom. Was he disgusted by her? Would he turn his back and ignore her? Strangely, this he did not do. The knight behaved as if he cherished his hideous bride. Later that night in their wedding chambers, the Lady Ronell said, Sir Gawain, now that we have wed, give me a kiss. If I were young and beautiful looking, you know very well you would not delay. I urge you to do this right now. Sir Gawain said, I will at once, that and more. As he sped around to kiss his bride, he saw before him not the loathsome lady he had married, but the fairest creature he ever did see. Aye, he cried out, what magic is this? Are you a witch? I am your wife, said she, that and securely. Ah, lady, then I must not be in my right mind, said the confused Sir Gawain. Pardon me for saying so earlier today you were the foulest sight a man ever did see. And now it seems none is more fortunate than I to have you as my bride. And he rushed into her arms, giving her many kisses. Sir, said she, pulling away for a moment, there is more you must know. Several years ago, I was deformed by enchantment by my brother, the terrible Sir Gromare. The way you see me now, this appearance cannot stay. You have a choice. You need to choose whether you will have me in my natural form, as you see me now, by night, and hideous as you see me before by day, or have me in my natural form by day and hideous at night. With the enchantment, it cannot be both. What do you choose? Alas, said Gawain, the choice is hard. To be with you as you are now at night, but not any more, that would grieve my heart right sore. But if by day you were as you seem now, then the nights would be hard and how. So I must put the choice in your own hands. Whatever you choose, as your husband, that choice will be mine as well. Mercy, courteous knight, of all earthly knights, I am truly lucky you are the one who ended up as my husband, for now the evil enchantment is released completely. I can stay in my natural form, form both day and night, for the only thing that could release me from Gromare's spell was if a husband granted me, of his own free will, sovereignty to choose what I wish for myself. And now, Sir Knight, courteous Gawain, you have done just that. You have granted me sovereignty, that which every woman wants above all else. I said Sir Gawain, that I am glad to do. And so the Lady Ronell could stay in her natural form both day and night, and she and Sir Gawain, the nephew of King Arthur, lived happily ever after. So with that story, I wanted to do a podcast episode about relationships, kind of coming from uh, some of the ideas that that story puts forward. So some of the things to think about 
you know, one of the obvious questions that comes from that story is who or what keeps you from having your own sovereignty, right? That could be some beliefs that you carry, maybe some faulty beliefs. It could be uh, messages that you've gotten from other people about yourself, And easily, Lady Ronell could have done that. Like, she knew who she was inside and she knew what needed to happen in order for her to be that person. I think another um, takeaway from that story is kind of this I I think so much in our society, we focus so much on physical appearance and that sometimes we fail to develop or we fail to see or we fail to know or weigh the importance of kind of the appearance. Or the beauty of things that aren't just physical. And one of the things in the CSAT community that we'll talk about is this idea of a, we call it the cosmic lover. So with the idea of a cosmic lover, um, it's kind of this idea that there's going to be this one person out there who will make me whole, who will make me complete, who will make me feel all the th- things I need to feel about myself that I can't feel on my own. And so we go out on this pursuit of this cosmic lover, the problem being that that lover doesn't exist, um, that we are all going to be imperfect, including the people we get into relationships with. And that nobody is supposed to make us whole and complete. That's our job to do. The people that we are in a relationship with, hopefully they can support the work that we're doing and they will love us through that process and as we go through that process. But ultimately, the work of becoming that person that I can love, that person who is not broken, who doesn't live kind of in their own shame, that work is our work and somebody else can't do that for us. So when we talk about, I I think also when we, especially with pornography, this is where we get kind of the objectification, right? Where we take different parts of a person and kind of put them together, hoping to kind of uh, get a vision of this cosmic lover, right? If they're have this head or this hair or these body parts that all of a sudden we'll have this one person. Uh, Often too, I think the way that in sex addiction we go about that is through objectification and a, a look on the physical part only. Now I will say this is a little bit different or, or maybe it's a lot different depending on how you look at it for female sex addicts. Because female sex addicts also, the majority of them, not not every single one, but the majority of female sex addicts are also looking for a relationship and how this person makes them feel about themselves. Now, male sex addicts, I will also say, are looking for how this person makes them feel about their themselves, but it may or may not have to do with being relational. So when we're pursuing this cosmic lover that doesn't actually exist. I think some of that, what we're really looking for is the opposite of what we feel that we are ourselves. And so that's something to kind of guide us. And there are clues in what we're pursuing in another person that we actually have to look at ourselves and develop for ourselves. Uh, One of the ways that we uh, can do this when we talk about intimacy. So I think um, intimacy you know, some people will talk about or define intimacy as kind of that into me you see, right? Like, which I think is accurate. Intimacy really is about this connection and it's about closeness. 
So if you think of like, sometimes I'll tell people we might have, you know, different like personal space around us. And depending on who we are around, that personal space may be larger or smaller. But for a lot of us, we have this space in in intimacy disorder. That space is going to still be pretty far out from you that the closest person to you could get. And beyond that, you don't want them to get close to you because they might see things about you. They might know things about you. They might feel things about you that you're not comfortable seeing, feeling, and knowing about yourself. And so we keep people at this distance so that they will think highly of us or so that we can at least control the image that they have of us. Now, one of those problems though, is that it's not close enough to create some of this true intimacy. And true intimacy is going to include letting another person know our shortcomings, letting another person know the areas that we still need to develop um, and to know kind of what our trigger points are. Like somebody has to know all of those things about us in order to truly be in an intimate relationship with us. And that might be really uncomfortable. Sometimes I will talk about when we're talking about a cosmic lover, that there was this time period early in childhood, you know, when it isn't appropriate to be completely dependent upon another person to number one, uh, reflect the image of who you are back to you and to really need this person to make you feel secure, to make you feel like you're precious. But it's not age appropriate as we start to get out of those young, young phases of childhood or infancy. Um, even a young child, right, begins, I would say, really kind of about maybe five when a kid starts to go to kindergarten they're starting this process of becoming independent on themselves. And and that includes this process of learning about who they are and shaping themselves as a person. And so when we, we get to the 30s, when we get to our 40s, it's really not appropriate for us to kind of be seeking this cosmic lover, or we could substitute this, a substitute parent, right? That will make me feel what I needed to feel, but I didn't feel as a young child. And so this pursuit of the, the um, cosmic lover is all, often going to leave us feeling uh, more despondent, more despair, again, because we're seeking an illusion. We're seeking something that actually doesn't exist. There's actually some uh, research. I read just some research the other day coming out of the UK, um, just talking about how for uh, for people who have viewed pornography, they were also dividing it into generations. So Gen Z, they were looking at, for Gen Z who viewed pornography on a regular basis, they are finding it very difficult to actually have real relationships and to feel sexual arousal or sexual excitement with a real person because pornography has kind of changed their arousal template and pornography has changed what is necessary for them to get excited and it may actually not be realistic in life. Now I wanted to read you um, a quote by David Schnarch. He is, I think he's a sex therapist. He's also an author of several books and uh, this quote is taken from his book, Passionate Marriage. He says, did I pick the right person? This question inverts the starting and ending points. 
We do not pick our perfect match because we ourselves are not perfect. The universe hands us a flawless diamond in the rough. Only if we are willing to polish off every part of ourselves that cannot join do we end up with a soulmate. So again, I I think sometimes uh, we go into some relationships with some false expectations. Um, I also think sometimes relationships start off making us believe that our expectations are true or our expectations can be accomplished. And so I will often say, you know, there's, there's something unique that happens when we're falling in love or when we're first starting to get in this relationship. And, you know, there's all sorts of chemicals we know that are going on in the body that, that really kind of take us out of our logical, rational mind. And so this is where you'll see examples of like other people who are maybe saying, hey, I see some red flags and you just can't see those for yourself um, because you're caught up in the romance of it. Um, Sometimes also you can be caught up in this idea of like, I'm finally getting what I've longed for, or this is going to make everything better in my life. This is going to make everything complete in my life. And so you don't want to hear, or you don't want to see those red flags. And again, when, when David Schnarch is talking about these imperfections, those aren't necessarily red flags. Um, but I think we, we get to this point of a starting place, knowing that now initially when we get together, right, oftentimes the person that we're getting into a relationship makes me feel good about me, right? I feel good in their presence. They make me feel desirable. They make me feel alive. They make me feel on and on and on, right? Now, it's not the job of another person to make me feel whole or to make me feel complete or to make me like myself. Um, But a a lot of times this is what happens in the beginning of relationships. And at some point, if we continue and stay in that relationship, that person isn't going to make us feel so great about ourselves. Now, hopefully in, in many ways they are making us feel great about themselves or they're accepting us. But what might be intolerable for us is that they're starting to get close and close and close, and they're starting to see things about me. They start to know that I'm not perfect. They start to know that this image that I've given them of myself is somewhat just an image. Hopefully it's somewhat authentic to who I am, but it's also somewhat of an image. You know, I'm putting my best foot forward and all of a sudden this person, as I'm developing this relationship with them, this person understands that I have another foot to put forward, right? As do they, as do they. So I may start to to get anxious at that point right there that I can't be who I'm trying to be all of the time with this person. So I might do some things to create some distance. I might, uh, you know, I might act out if I have an addiction. I might act out as a way to create some distance, at least emotionally, between me and this other person. I may also do some self-sabotaging behavior. So I'm kind of like, you know what, they're going to leave me anyway once they find out this other side to myself. So I might... I might as well go out of this spectacularly, right? And I might do something that is so unforgivable that they're going to leave me. But in some ways, I feel like I had control of them leaving me because I decided to do something to make them leave me. So all of these things can start to happen as intimacy gets touched on in relationships and we start to really get close 
to another person and they start getting close to us. It is somewhat uh, unsettling maybe or a little bit jarring when somebody is getting that close to us and, and we have to assess some things, right? I think I've talked before on this podcast that our brain doesn't differentiate fantasy from reality. And so as the reality of the relationship starts to happen, I may be thinking to myself, like, this this isn't going to go well. Like, I'm, I've been creating a fantasy part of this relationship, and all of a sudden, here comes the reality. And we don't get to control reality, right? Reality is what it is. That's, that's the whole point of reality. And so I may back away from, from the intimacy instead of leaning in towards it, right? I might feel completely scared in my body. And instead I lean into that and I say, I'm feeling really afraid right now. This scares me how close we're getting in this relationship. And hopefully we can have a conversation about that and we start to join each other and we start to be real with each other. I don't think we can have intimacy in fantasy. And so instead we start to get real with each other and we start to create something that includes all parts of who we are, right? That we come to a recognition that we're going to step on each other's toes in this relationship, that you're going to see emotions that I don't like you to see in myself, and you're going to see some responses that I have to the emotions that aren't necessarily great. And I've got to be okay with that. And you've got to be able to give me that feedback. And I have to be able to give you feedback about what I see in you in order to really have this connection and this uh, relationship, this intimate relationship. The good news is most often when we do that, it's attractive. Seeing somebody who is willing to be real with us and allow them to see us for who we are is an attractive thing. And it's also something that can be a lifetime pursuit, right? Sometimes I talk about uh, how novelty and passion are interconnected with each other. And oftentimes, um, if we if we kind of lose the novelty in our relationship, which if we have long-term relationships, that can happen, that the passion kind of diminishes or it kind of just, just dies off and we kind of get into the familiar which provides some security, it provides some certainty about each other because we know each other so well, but it can have it can have a negative impact on passion. So this is why sometimes you'll you'll notice for yourselves or you'll hear other people you're talking to talk about how maybe when they go on vacation with each other, the the sex gets better. There's this um, connection that happens when we're in a different place. And that has to do with novelty, right? That has to do with something being new and being able to see each other in a way that maybe we forgot to see each other. And so that's not uncommon for things to get better when we step away from our normal routine and our normal lives. However, we can't only connect when we're on vacation or we can't uh, travel so much, right, that, that 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 becomes, because that then will become also not so novel and not so new. So how do we create novelty with some passion, right? Well, I think often that comes when we continue to work on ourselves, when we continue to 
evolve ourselves when we continue and instead of just kind of getting to this place of like checking the boxes and then saying okay this is who I am for the rest of my life we have to continually evolve ourselves and have new ideas and have new thoughts and have new things that awaken us as an individual right and then we can share that with our partner and there is some newness there's some novelty there's some things that arouse the system in this way that creates passion now the other side of that is we don't want so much newness that there's not kind of this security or this certainty and predictability right that also is another important part of relationships when we have some security that this person is there for me, uh, that this person is my person, and that they're going to join me on my journey through life as much as I join them on their journey through life. And so we have to have a balance, right? Too much certainty or too much uh, predictability can kill the passion, but also so much unpredictability can also damage the relationship right and kind of kill the passion because i can't fully open myself up and allow you to know me if i don't know that you're going to be there for me the next day right if i don't know that you're going to accept me on my journey then i'm probably not going to really invite you into that space and open up to you and so that can also kill the passion so i think again going back to this idea of sovereignty um, in the story of Sir Gawain and Lady Ronell. Sovereignty is that, again, that supreme power or authority to govern yourself. And I think we can look at and ask ourselves questions. How do I govern myself, right? Do I govern myself with too much familiarity? Do I live small? Do I govern myself in ways where I'm thrill-seeking, right? And I can't actually settle down into who I am. What keeps you? from owning yourself what keeps you from belonging to yourself and not betraying yourself right what keeps you from then allowing yourself to open up and share with another person who you are and who you have uh, made yourself to be and then continue on that on that path of evolving and exploring and Um, adding new dimensions to yourself as we age. And then I think it's important when we are starting to ask those questions about ourselves, when we're starting to seek out answers for that and continuing to kind of push ourselves um, out of our comfort zone. Again, not so far out of our comfort zone that we paralyze ourselves and we can't move, but that we are pushing ourselves to get out of our comfort zone then we start to share with other people, the people who are in our life that we have intimate relationships with, right? This is going to be, uh, if you have a significant other, it's gonna be that person. Um, And then it may be a couple of friends, right? The other thing with um, intimacy is it's not a quantity kind of thing. It's a quality kind of thing. So we may not have a whole lot of people we're intimate with, right? That would, I think, kind of negate intimacy from happening because it's something that we do with everybody instead of just saying this is something I do with very few people and with my significant others there are some things I only share or I only experience with you so again looking asking yourself those questions and then starting to share those things starting to 
have conversations with the people that you are developing intimacy with or that you are intimate with. Have a conversation about that. I, I think that would be a great thing. It's a way, again, to bring some newness to the relationship as we start to have these conversations and we start to ask questions and we start to push ourselves. Um, it can create this great authentic connection. At the end of this episode, I want to remind you that your story matters. Remember there's something meaningful in every chapter. Don't wait to share your story till it's finished. Until next time, Jackie. The Legal Stuff. This podcast is solely for the purpose of information and entertainment and does not constitute therapy, nor should it replace competent professional help. The Prayer of the Perfectionist. Nobody has time for perfection. We are pursuing progress. Help me to remember the only step I need to focus on is the next right step for me. Help me to remember that life is a journey. Help me to be able to separate all that I am learning from all that I have to do. Help me to remember that I am not alone. I can ask for help. Help me to strive for frequent awakenings, not mastery. I am enough. Amen.